Parent Con 2023. That's a better name. Next one we'll call Parent Con. So I'm Josh. If we haven't met, this is the Rock Church, if you're new. So I've, I have a couple opening statements before I jump into my material. As I was thinking about it, usually, Chris and I have done this conference seven times now for sister churches of ours around the M28. And usually you roll into town, nobody knows you, nobody knows your kids, you kind of talk and leave. But you all know me and you all know my kids. So my first statement is, please be kind to my children, okay? I'm going to share a lot of stories of my failures and successes and their failures and successes. So don't be like, Aiden, I heard you were a big stinker yesterday. <laughs> so keep it classy with my children. I'd appreciate that. Uh, number two, uh, if you've never, how many of you have never been to a parenting conference like this in your life? All right, that's awesome. That's a good chunk of the room. So this will kind of be like drinking out of a fire hose. Like we're going to blitz you with like four messages on parenting and dads and moms and little kids and teens, and it'll be like drinking out of a fire hose. So I totally agree with what Caleb said. Just go, Lord, just help me lock into one point two points that you would like me to roll into my parenting this next week. I want to say this, another editorial comment. I am not an expert. Krista is not an expert. The power of what we're about to share is I'm going to take a Bible verse, I'm going to pull some principles out of it, and we're going to illustrate it from our lives, okay? And you guys are the experts on your kids. I don't even know most of your kids' names, okay? You know everything about your kids. You're the expert on your children. So you take the Bible verse, the principle, hear how we've applied it, illustrated it, and you apply it to your kid's life. Does that make sense? Uh, some of you have been to a bunch of parenting conferences. How many of you have been to a bunch of parenting conferences? All right. So I have a word for you. So there are certain parenting conferences that I've listened to online like three or four times or certain books I've read three or four times. And the reason I've done that is because different things hit me when my kids are 5 or 10 or 15. And so some of you are like, I've heard a lot of parenting stuff. I've actually heard you talk about parenting a lot, Josh. I trust that God's spirit and God's word will share some fresh things with you because you're in a different stage than your kids were last time you were thinking about this stuff. So new material, stage of life, out of town. Those are all my big points. Oh, the other thing is this is a gift. You guys have been given a gift because we're just so busy with life. We're so busy with work and our, our kids and house projects. This is a gift if you take advantage of it tonight for an hour, tomorrow morning for a couple hours, tomorrow afternoon. This is a gift to like kind of step away from parenting, think about what God's word says and think how can I apply this stuff to my life with my kiddos, okay? So how many of you, I want to see our demographics how many of you, I'm going to break it into three groups, 0 to 5, 5 to 12, 13 on. If you're thinking about the average age of your kids, how many of you are going, we are solidly in the 0 to 5 crowd? Raise your hand. Outstanding. All right. How many of you are solidly in the 5 to 12 crowd? All right. How many of you are in the 13 and above crowd? All right. Excellent. So... That's all my opening caveats. So this is my wife, Krista, if you've never met her. This is the Rock Church. I'm a pastor here. I don't recognize some of you. I'm glad you're choosing to be here. This is so awesome that there's 70 families that chose to be here this weekend. That is super encouraging. Utah has, on average, 2.3 kids per family. So 70 times 2.3, that's like 165 kids, which is straight up half of the kids in our church are represented by you guys. So we are responsible for 165 souls, which is kind of an amazing thing to think about. So, all right, I've said all my introductory stuff. So let's look at our schedule real quick. Tonight I'm going to teach on radical parenting, and then tomorrow we'll be back here at 9 a.m. You all should have a handout. There's a bunch of fill in the blanks, and the schedule is on the front page. You might want to take a photo of that. So tomorrow at 9, Steel will kick us off with a couple songs. I'll do session two. We'll take a break. We're going to split by dads and moms. Krista's going to teach the moms in here. I'm going to teach the dads in a back room. We're all going to pack in there like sardines. And then we're going to take a one-hour lunch break, and you're all on your own for lunch. So either bring a sack lunch or hit a restaurant, but I'm going to start a timer, and you have one hour to eat. 
And then we're going to start one hour later. So then we'll come back for our fourth session. And then we're going to have Q&A. And I'm going to have a link up here where you can be submitting questions. Have a bunch of pastors up here. Krista and I will be up here. And we want to field as many questions as we can for that last session. So that's where we're going. You have less than, I mean, two hour, an hour tonight, two hours in the morning, two hours in the afternoon. We have five hours to invest in continuing education as parents. So this is part one. If you want to turn there in your handout, radical parenting. So God's word, the book of Proverbs specifically, has a lot to say about parenting. That's where we're going to go tonight. So do we need a message on parenting at this church? Absolutely, 100%. Our church is blessed with like 250 to 300 kids. About a third of our church are kids under 18, and you guys are parenting half of them. It is amazing that God has given our kids, our church, so many kids because the Bible says that children are a gift, a reward, and a blessing. But what is our world's attitude towards children? Remember back in 2020 when COVID and the lockdowns happened, they predicted that nine months later, there would be this like baby bubble. Like whenever historically you send people home and they have nothing to do, a bunch of babies are born nine months later. But it didn't happen. There wasn't like a COVID baby bump. It's actually a baby bust. Sociologists have found that birth rates have dropped dramatically in our country in the 2020s, down 8% in Florida, 7% in Ohio, 5% in Arizona, and the U.S. is already at historic low birth rates. But you guys consider kids a reward. My wife and I consider kids a reward. Here, we've been married 23 years. Here's our five kids. We love them. We're proud of them. It's been the greatest work of our life raising these kids. Some of you know our kids super well. Some of you don't know them at all. So I'm going to briefly introduce you to them. And then I'm going to share a bunch of stories. If I share a, if it's a good story, I'm going to use their name. If it's a bad story, I'll say he or she, which is, which is not good for one of them. And for the record, I ran every one of these stories by my kids. So they all approved of these stories. <laughs> so they know the story. So Kale is 19, Aiden 17, Haley is 16, Elias is 14, McLean is 12. Krista quit her job as a medical aide 15, 19 years ago to raise our son. She spent the last 15 years homeschooling at least one kid. The Whitney Academy went all the way up to five kids, and now it's shrunk back down to one kid in our homeschool. So our oldest son on the left there, Kale, he's a sophomore in college. He's studying mechanical engineering up at Utah State in Logan. He was the valedictorian of his high school class. He worked at Chick-fil-A the last few years, served here a bunch. He's an RA in the dorms up at Utah State. Between his scholarships and uh, his RA job, he's got his whole college paid for, which is super awesome. But what is more encouraging to me is that he is super plugged into a church up there in Logan, and he's serving and helping and working hard and super encouraging. Aiden, standing by me in the back there, he's 17. He's a senior in high school. He loves to run, loves to work out. He's on the cross-country team. He has straight A's. He's serving at church. He's working at Chick-fil-A as well. He has a 4.0. He's very disciplined, very hard worker. He's the kind of dude that's doing sit-ups while we're watching a movie as a family. So... <laughs> That's Aiden. And then Haley, our only daughter, she's a junior at high school. She loves to read, loves to write, loves to bake. She's friends with many of your daughters. She just got hired at Chick-fil-A. <laughs> she learned how to drive. I don't know what was funny there. <laughs> uh, she learned how to drive, so now I've taught three of my kids how to drive, so that's a good hurdle for me. Elias there in the front right, he is a freshman in high school, super friendly, loves to read, super courageous. He's on the cross-country team, eager to serve. And then our youngest, McLean, there in the front in the black hoodie, he's uh, 12 years old in seventh grade, our last homeschooler. Loves to play gaga ball, but tragically, he broke his collarbone playing gaga ball a few weeks ago, but he's recovering quickly, and he can't wait to get out into the octagon with your children again. <laughs> Loves chess, loves Legos. So all five have become Christians over the last number of years. Kale was 12 years ago. McLean was a couple years ago. We homeschooled them all from about kindergarten to seventh grade. And then our plan has been sending them into public high school in eighth grade. 
middle school and then into high school. So we got one in college, three in public high school, and one in homeschool. My kids serve a bunch here at church. That's probably where you've seen some of them. It was super awesome for Kale when he was filling out college applications and scholarship applications. He had hundreds of hours of community service. And he's brought that same servant heart to his church up in Logan. He's doing the setup, the teardown, the audiovisual, the recording, and the Sunday school. I said, you become indispensable in your one year there. These are my and my wife's pride and joy. They are a reward and a blessing and God's gift in our life. And we have seen incredible fruit in our family as we've applied God's word in our home. And so, again, I'm not the expert. I'm going to talk about the verses. I'm going to talk about the principles and how we've applied or obeyed them in our life. You, your job is to apply them to your family as God leads you. But bottom line, what God values in parenting in his word has yielded incredible fruit in our family. And I need to be crystal clear, every single person in this photo sins, even today. Everyone in this photo is a sinner. We all have our flesh patterns we're working through. Some people go, oh, pastors are perfect, or pastors' lives are perfect, and Caleb's right. We, kids, there's, I will, there's stories. Are, it's happening all the time. My sin, my kids' sin, it's just happening all the time. We're saved. The Holy Spirit is in our house. It's helping us grow more like Christ. So I'm going to share a lot of stories of failure and a lot of stories of success, but it's real life in the Whitney house. I had a son, a son, who was witnessing to a classmate who was depressed and suicidal. My son is like sharing truth and in like telling him the gospel. And it's amazing. And then that same son comes home and is super unthankful at dinner. And it's like, do we have to eat this? Why? Just like grumpy and unthankful. And it's like the same kid, same week. Man, that's awesome. You're loving a kid that's depressed and you're grumping at your mom because you don't like dinner. <laughs> All right. So these are our kids. We love them. It's what we put our time and energy into. You will find yourself in a rich parenting position if you apply God's truth to your home. You'll find yourself in a poor parenting position if you do not. So we're going to jump into the book of Proverbs for this first teaching. Proverbs is essentially a parenting manual written by the wisest person who ever lived, written to Hebrew parents to teach their sons and daughters God's ways, how to be skillful at parenting. This is the parenting manual. Krista was talking to our neighbor recently, just this last week, and she was talking about kids, and she said, I wish kids came with an owner's manual. And Krista's like, they do. <laughs> it's the Bible. So we need God's parenting wisdom. Our country desperately needs God's parenting wisdom. I'm going to share some really sad, depressing statistics with you. There are approximately 75 million kids in our country 18 and under. Just a few stats to show us the reality in our country. 7 to 14 million adolescents are alcoholics. According to the NIH, National Institute of Mental Health, 3 million adolescents have had at least one major depressive episode. Half of kids bro grow up in a broken home. Back in the 1960s, it was 1%. 1990s, it was 50%. Many of you have observed or experienced firsthand the pain the divorce can bring into your family and into your kids' lives. Another sad stat. The average age of first exposure to pornography is 10 to 11 in our country. 57% of teens and young adults seek porn monthly, and only 20% of Christians are waiting till marriage to be sexually active. So this isn't a youth problem out there. This is a youth problem in the church in America. And you've probably heard or read stats similar to this one, but depending on the study, 70 to 90% of Christian youth leave the faith after high school. I could keep going, but I'll stop right there. You may have read the recent CDC results on mental health, st stats on anxiety and depression and suicide. Category after category, very discouraging things to meditate on. The fruit of our country's parenting is rotten to the core. But thankfully, again, God's word is not silent on the subject of parenting. But I share all those stats because I want nobody to think right now, oh, we're killing it at parenting in this country. We've got to get radical. You may have heard this quote before. 
There's some debate if Albert actually said this, but the quote is great. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, but expecting different results. So we need to get radical in our parenting. We need to change things up. If the average home in America produces an addicted, depressed, immoral, agnostic child, we as Christians should question everything our society tells us to do when it comes to parenting. I'll be honest with you, I do not give a rip what the world says about parenting. Oh, I was on a blog. Oh, an expert said it. Oh, you saw it on Facebook. I don't care. Is it biblical? Is it scriptural? What is the fruit of this parenting approach? Those are the questions we should be asking. Jesus said in Luke 7, wisdom is proved right by her children. And those stats are the fruit of our country's parenting model. So I don't want to copy anything our world says on education, friends, activities, social media, phones, dating, discipline, any of it. Here's how the dictionary defines radical. It's a change or action relating to or affecting the fundamental nature of something. So we're talking about radical parenting in these four sessions. If we're going to change our parenting, we're going to have to realize, oh, I'm going to be swimming upstream because everything my culture tells me is not where God wants us to go. Our, our flesh is weak. I'm a sinner. Our kids are sinners. And our country is telling us to do a bunch of stuff that statistically speaking is going to jack our kids up. So your friend or family or neighbor or coworker, they may be totally good intention, but their advice could be statistically speaking something that's just going to be really bad for your kids. So we need to be radical parents. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for this time right now. Lord, we do want to be radical. We want to raise kids that are radically devoted to you, that are radical disciples of you, that are godly. God, we need your grace. We live in a broken world. God, I just, I, we need your mercy like we just sang. Lord, I pray for mercy in my life and in the lives of my brothers and sisters here. Give us mercy with our kids. Speak through me right now. We say all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so what's the goal of parenting? According to Malachi 2, did not God make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? What was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. So it's very difficult to raise godly kids if we don't honor our marriage vow. But that's a different teaching for a different day. But God wants us to stick with our spouse in part to raise godly kids. You need to hear me right now. I know many of you are divorced, remarried, blended families, single parents. God's grace is sufficient for you in your parenting. Whatever has happened in the past is the past. God's grace is sufficient right now. I think of Philippians 3. It says, forgetting what lies behind, pressing forward to what lies ahead, pressing toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of Jesus Christ. So what is the goal of our parenting? Oh, it's godly offspring. That's radical. It's not just make sure my kid doesn't go to jail or make sure they eventually move out, make sure they go to college, make sure they have a viable career. The goal is to have godly kids, which is fairly radical. That's the goal of parenting. Oh, how do we do that? The book of Proverbs. So I want to look at eight marks of a radical parent. Again, I'm going to share the verses and the principles and how we've applied it. And it's your job to kind of contextualize it in your home and your family. And we're going to talk about, like I said, dads and moms, older kids, younger kids and parents. I feel like we're painting a wall. There's going to be a lot of layers of paint. And I'm going to tell stories about younger kids and tweens and teens and all the messages. So there's going to be a ton of overlap. So your first blank on your handout, number one, radical parents foundation is in Jesus Christ. Proverbs 14, in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. So the gospel of Jesus Christ saves us and the gospel of Jesus Christ allows us to live this life as parents. So Jesus has to permeate all areas of your life. Everybody's family is about something. Maybe you're the sports family or the hobby family or the house project family or the hiking family or the TV show family or the gaming family or the skiing family. The radical family is built on Jesus Christ. And the fruit of that can be unbelievable. Do your kids see God working in your life? Go, oh, God, God means something to my dad. And God is growing my dad. And God loves, my dad loves the people of God. We got to model that taste. We want to raise godly kids. We don't want to just raise good citizens. Our country desperately needs godly young men and women who will be good examples and tell people about Jesus Christ. 
And all that starts with mom and dad having a firm foundation found in the Lord. May God give us the grace to be radical parents who raise radical kids who change the world. Amen? All right, number two. Radical parents get to enjoy the blessing of godly children. Look at this contrast in the book of Proverbs between the wise child and the foolish child. Proverbs 10. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is sorrow to his mother. He who sires a fool gets himself sorrow, and the father of a fool has no joy. A foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. My inmost being will exult when your lips speak what is right. Proverbs 28, the one who keeps the law is a son with understanding, but a companion of gluttons shames his father. Proverbs 29, he who loves wisdom makes his father glad, but a companion of prostitutes squanders his wealth. So radical parents get to enjoy the blessing of godly kids. So if you train and instruct and discipline your kids in godliness, you can enjoy the blessing these verses are talking about, the gladness, the joy, the happiness. Watching your kids follow the Lord can bring incredible joy to your heart. I remember years ago, I sent my son Aiden to go get the mail. The mailbox is like a block away from our house. Jefferson, maybe you could fix that. It's so far away. <laughs> he came back to my office, and he had the mail kind of bundled up. And he said, Dad, there's a swimsuit catalog in here. And I won't tell you what most teenage boys would do if they found a swimsuit catalog in the mail, but a son who sees it, is alarmed, covers it, hides it, warns his dad. That's a son who brought gladness to my heart. Inversely, watching your child destroy their life can bring incredible pain. Proverbs just talked about sorrow and grief and bitterness. Mom and dad, you have to understand, setting that course starts when they're young. Training our kids in godliness and wisdom, it starts when they're little, like one-year-old. You start bumping in your kid's will. No, my son, you're not the king of the world. Parents tend to think the most important thing is their kids have good experiences or they have good memories. It's not. The most important thing is our kids are raised in the fear and instruction of the Lord. And Proverbs gives us this principle. If we use wisdom in our parenting, we can experience the blessing of godly kids. You know that when you're old and gray and sitting in your rocking chair someday, the only thing you're going to care about is, do my kids love Jesus? Chris and I, years ago, went and visited a woman who was dying, and the only thing on her heart were her two adult daughters who were not following the Lord. She's dying, and she's like, at my funeral, share the gospel. My daughters need to get saved. That's what she's talking about as she's dying. So what are some godly traits we could train our kids in? This will be a reoccurring theme, so if you miss it, you'll hear it in every other teaching. Hard work. We can train our kids how to hard, work hard when they're young, around the house. As soon as they're able to do a job, have them do it. Like, this is how you empty the dishwasher and load it and make breakfast and clean up breakfast. Train your kids in cooking and cleaning and trash and weeding and mowing and every job you do. As soon as the kid is physically able, start training them in that. Like my boys I'll, and my daughter, I'll take them out, have them mow, and they're little. They'll push and push. I'll be like, we'll try again next year. And they go back in, and they don't mow that year. But once they can start pushing that mower, son, go mow the lawn. If we raise kids that can work hard, they're going to shine like stars. It'll bless them in every area of their life and their future, academics, their career, their home, their walk with Jesus, their marriage, their parenting. Some kids in our country think they're royalty. Someone else will pick up my mess. I walk into the bathroom. The bathroom is a mess. Uh, who just used this bathroom? Uh, please come clean up this bathroom right now. We do not want to create entitled attitudes in our kids. I think about 10 of my neighbors have hired my kids to work on house projects at their home because they've seen my kids working in my yard for me. This past winter when it snowed so much, my kids were like, wait a minute, this is like money from heaven. So they would like grab shovels and go around our neighborhood and they made hundreds of dollars shoveling heavy snow off of people's driveways. Teach your kids how to work hard. Another thing we could teach our kids is conflict resolution. This is a critical life skill. How to express your hurt, how to forgive, how to not walk around with bitterness in your heart, how to forgive each other. My wife has spent a huge chunk of the last 19 years teaching our kids conflict resolution skills. So all those verses in Proverbs about controlling your tongue and anger and forgiveness and all of those things, those aren't just written for you, dad or mom. They're things that God wants us to teach our children. 
How about teaching our kids how they spend their time? No, my child, you do not exist on this planet to do whatever your flesh wants to do right now. Be it your game, your instrument, your book, your toy, your phone. You're here to build God's kingdom. I remember once when I was a kid, I was raised in a Christian home. I walked up to my mom and I said, Mom, I'm bored. She's like, bored, huh? How about you go vacuum the house? I never struggled with boredom again after that day. I like how Charlotte Mason, the educator, put it in England years ago. She said, every day children need something or someone to love, something worthwhile to do, something to think about. Amusement is not an adequate substitute for something to think about. Some of you go, if I tell my kids to go play together, they're going to fight. That's why we need the conflict resolution skills we're training them in. You go, well, my kids don't get bored. They just stare at their phone all day. If that's your kid, you've missed the point. We, in my house, I don't have a verse, but we have not gotten our kids a cell phone until they turn 17 years old. When Kel turned 17, now Aiden's 17, we got him cell phones. My thought was, they don't need this in their life till now, but I wanted to spend that last year before they went off to college discipling them in how to use a cell phone correctly. There's 2,500 high school kids at their school, and they're one of a handful of students that don't have a cell phone. If they were here right now, they'd be like, we're the only ones. <laughs> but I think they're exaggerating. The average teen, 95% of teens say they have a smartphone, and they spend an astonishing nine hours a day on their device. So for the average teen in our country, that phone connects them to all these people out there, but it doesn't connect them to mom or dad or their siblings at home. I don't want my kid's heart out there. I want my kid's heart at home connected to my wife and I. I want their siblings to be their friends. So when my boys turned 17, there was a contract I had them sign. We had a long discussion about expectations. There's a book I had them read. We have rules and parental controls, and the phone comes into my office every night at bedtime, and they don't get it till the next morning. Homeward focus. That was the home I grew up in. I had friends in church and friends in the neighborhood, but my closest friends were my siblings. And now, 20, 30 years later, my siblings and I are still great friends. That's what my wife and I are doing with our family. These parental choices with things like conflict resolution and hard work and how they spend their time, they're challenging. I'm talking about radical parenting choices. Your third blank. Radical parents constantly teach their children God's ways. So look at these verses. These are the verses we kind of read over in Proverbs. Proverbs 1, hear my son, your father's instruction. 2, my son, if you receive my words. 3, my son, do not forget my teaching. 4, hear, O sons, a father's instruction. 4.10, hear my sons and accept my words. 5, my son, be attentive to my wisdom. 7. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commands. 13. A son, a wise son, hears his father's instruction. 15. A fool despises his father's instruction. So that's a sampling. There's more, but the point is clear. Radical parents constantly teach their children God's ways. We think, man, this parenting is difficult. If only it came with a parenting manual. It does. The Word of God, the book of Proverbs. So reading the Bible in part is to have something to teach our kids. Statistics would say the majority of Christians do not read the Word of God. Reading the Word of God is not just about God teaching you. It's about you having a game plan to teach your kids something, to know what you're aiming for, what God expects. Put another way, you can't train your kids in godliness if you're not in God's book. Again, every family is teaching their kids something. We're the hunting family. We're the football family. We're the vacation family. We're the sports family, the show family, the alcohol family, the music family. Maybe we're teaching our kids, you know, we ignore people that hurt us. Or we buy whatever we want. Or we gossip about whoever's hurt us. I assure you, every parent is teaching their kids something. Are you teaching your kid through word and deed? This is what God's word says, and this is how dad and mom are trying to obey it, and I want you to follow my example. Is your walk with God alive and active? Is it growing you? Kids can spot a hypocrite a mile away. Dad says, oh, don't look at porn, but everybody knows what dad does at night. Mom says, don't gossip, but everybody can hear mom on the phone. 
I hope you know that we live in a society that is directly, overwhelmingly denying God's truth on eternity and sex and gender and marriage and materialism and relationship and work and emotions and everything. And we'd be fools if we let our world just teach our kids and not step into the mix and go, actually, no, son, that's a lie. That's not true. That's totally against God's word. Your friends, your kids' friends will influence them now through social media and phone. They can be taught a worldly message constantly. If you send your kid to bed with a phone, they can be sitting there being constantly taught a worldly message if you let them. Again, the average kid is on their device nine hours a day. They're in school eight hours a day. That's 17 hours. That math right there significantly influenced Krista and my choices about educating our kids at home. So a radical parent directly, persistently, winsomely teaches their kids on a myriad of subjects. But I love this verse in Proverbs 15. It says, the tongue of the wise makes knowledge appealing, but the mouth of a fool belches out foolishness. So how can you make God's truth so winsome and so attractive to your kids? You think about Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's like when you leave and when you come back and when you walk and when you lie down. For us, it's when we're at mealtimes and driving and in our house and just throughout the life teaching our kids God's ways. Let's do the math. Again, your kid is sleeping maybe on average nine hours a day. They're in school eight hours a day. They're on their device nine hours a day. That's 26 hours a day. Well, that doesn't work. That's minus two hours. That's negative two hours a day for teaching your kids. How does that math work? Your kids aren't sleeping enough or they're not paying attention in school. You know, the average dad talks, talks to his kid seven minutes a day. That's not going to hack it. You need like an hour a day playing with them, tickling them, wrestling with them, teaching them reading to them, taking them to the park, talking about current events, talking about a gospel opportunity you had at your job with a coworker, praying with them. My parents modeled this like lifestyle discipleship in our home. Like, for example, with my son Aiden, when he hid that swimsuit magazine and brought it, the catalog, that didn't just like spontaneously happen. That was years of discipleship and instruction and teaching and coaching and good examples. So he's like, oh, this is that thing that dad told me about. Warning, warning, tell dad. Now, some of you think kids are just born good. That's a lie you've been told. Psalm 51 says that kids are evil or wicked from birth. Conception, actually. I saw a clear picture of this when my oldest son, Kale, was 22 months old. This is a Halloween party. Krista's like a nun, the boys are soldiers, and I'm like a business casual pirate or something. <laughs> so Joey was there, and Joey had a costume with all these monkeys on it. And Kale has one of the monkeys, stuffed monkey, and Kale loves it. And so Kale, I'm watching, Kale runs down the hallway, opens his toy box, puts it in there, closes the toy box, and walks back out like nothing to see here. He's 22 months old. He's never seen mom or dad steal a thing. We're not showing him shows on like how to do heist or something. There's something in his 22-month-old heart that's like, oh, I want this stuff, monkey. I'm taking it, Joey. It's gone. <laughs> Your kid's a sinner. My kid's a sinner. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. The sin nature is apparent when kids arrive. They're not sympathetic. They don't pay attention. They're not jumping up to help with a need. They're preoccupied with themselves. Our kids, the first few years, we're not walking around going, that's a great idea, son. Keep that up. We're like, no, get down. Stop that. You'll kill yourself. <laughs> Which brings us to our fourth blank. Radical parents have the courage to say no. No, son. No, daughter. I give my kids the gift of no every day. <laughs> now, as they become teenagers, they're trying reverse psychology on me. They're like, dad, build my character. Say no. We have to have the courage to say no to bad influences. Proverbs 13, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. The danger of bad company is all over the book of Proverbs. So I have this clear memory. When I was a boy growing up in church, I was probably 10, 11, 12, I had a good friend. We went to church together. One of my best buds. We hung out all the time. 
But as he became a teenager, 13, 14, 15, my dad saw this young man's life is not going the right direction. And I don't want this young man influencing my son. And so I remember all these conversations with my dad when my dad was basically saying to me, your friendship with that young man is changing effective now. And I remember crying as a young boy, being like, dad, you're being so unfair. You're being unreasonable. You don't understand. You're being too hard on him. But I listened to my dad and I obeyed him. My dad was right. The young man did train wreck his life for a number of years. Mom and dad, do you have the courage to say no? Some parents don't want to interfere. They want to be the good guy. They're literally scared to cross their kid. They want to be their kid's friend first and foremost. Don't be a wimp. Have the courage to say no to your kid. Constantly evaluate the influences in their life. For Chris and I, everything is on the table all the time. Like I'm evaluating friendships and books and shows and school and everything is constantly being evaluated. How is this influencing my children for better or worse? Because I'll tell you what, if I see you messing with my kid, negatively influencing them, undermining the lessons I'm trying to teach you, kind of activates some like holy anger in my heart, not on my watch. I'm not going to let that happen on my watch. We're done with that. Have the courage to say no. Which brings us to our next point, number five. Radical parents lovingly discipline their children. Let's look at some verses. Proverbs 3, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. The rod and reproof give wisdom. A child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Discipline your son, and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. So radical parents lovingly discipline their children. These verses are talking about discipline or corporal punishment or physical discipline or spanking. Common method is disciplining with the rod. This is a tool that God wants in our parenting toolbox. But this has become incredibly controversial in our country over the last few decades. This may be the area where God's word and what our culture preaches are diametrically opposed when it comes to parenting. But again, I would ask you, what is the fruit of our country's parenting methods? This is how the Supreme Court of Italy talked about corporal punishment. It said the very expression, correction of children, which is, expresses a view of child-rearing that is both culturally anachronistic, historically outdated, should in fact be redefined, abolishing any connotation of hierarchy or authoritarianism. In other words, if you practice loving, godly discipline, you're a dinosaur. That's what the world would tell us. Anyone who loves Jesus Christ has no heart to abuse their child. Well, the Bible says discipline your kids. So child abuse and loving godly discipline are not the same thing. Radical parents lovingly discipline their kids in a self-controlled, godly, scriptural way. God disciplines those he loved. That's all over the Bible. Week after week, you hear stories in the news of young men and young women who are not lovingly disciplined, and we see the sad outcomes of those choices. And hear me, if you don't discipline your kids, someone will discipline them be it educators, bosses, the police, law enforcement, a spouse. Someone is going to bring discipline into your kid's life, and they will not love your kid. They will not care about your kid. It's going to be painful now or painful later. Proverbs 13 is intense. You hate your child if you don't discipline them. Now, I understand if we were in a school board meeting and I stood up and said, hey, we need to teach our kids to obey and respect and discipline as a tool, they'd probably run me out of the meeting. We're going to move on. I'm going to come back to this in the morning. But right now, I just want you all to meditate on everyone uses some discipline technique. Are you going to use God's tools or something you read on Facebook? All right, number six. This is related. Radical parents understand the importance of their children learning respect and obedience. Proverbs 30, the eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. Notice it's the eye that mocks. 
How many of you have been there with a kid that like rolls their eyes or, okay, dad, whatever, mom. Our kids need to be taught to respect authority. As our kids have gotten older, at first it was like, will they actually even obey my command? But then they become older and they're going to obey it, but they're like, oh, fine. And it's all about the eye roll and the attitude and the tone. And again, the context of this verse in the Jewish culture would be a huge disgrace for a child's a body to not be buried. Mom and dad probably don't even know where the kid is. We've all seen the kid in the grocery store that doesn't listen, that throws a temper tantrum, that back talks, that rolls their eyes. Chris and I have been there dozens and dozens of times, but we deal with it. Mom and dad, you have the ability with God's tools and God's grace to train our kid to turn this ship around. Do you believe that? All right. Number seven, radical parents covet the counsel of godly parents. Proverbs 20, even a child makes himself known by his acts, by whether his conduct is pure and upright. So our kids have a reputation. The child care workers, teachers at school, babysitters, coaches have an opinion of your kid's character. And trusted adults, godly parents can give input on our kids. And I understand that sort of defensive mama bear attitude, like, don't you tell me nothing bad about my baby. But radical parents covet the counsel of godly parents. Don't be the dad who's like, my kid's fine. I don't want to hear it. No, be the dad who's like, how did my kid do in class? I want to know. The best dads and moms I know seek input on their kids and get counsel. You go, I don't want to hear it. You do want to hear it. Your kid didn't listen very well. Your daughter doesn't stay in her seat. You can't afford to be blind. I want to know my kid's reputation. I covet the counsel and input of others, especially godly parents, because the core of a young person is starting to shape themselves when they're young. And mom and dad, you better believe that you can shape and mold that into godly patterns. Teenagers that you know that are pleasant and respectful and helpful, you better believe there was a mom or dad behind the scenes that helped shape and mold that teenager. Radical parents understand their kid has a reputation and they're working with Jesus to help grow their kid in godliness. That's why it's so critical you're involved in church and small group and youth group so you can ask parenting questions and see examples and learn from the parents around you. So you're leaving somebody's house and you notice maybe after a small group, one of the parents said, hey, son, get your coat on and shoes, we're going. The kid like jumps up, puts his coat and shoes on and walks out the door and you're like, whoa, it's like a Christmas miracle. Excuse me, how did that just happen? Can you teach me? We can't afford to be blind to our kids' areas for growth. And for the record, again, I do not speak to you as a parenting expert. For 19 years, I've turned to God's Word, and I've tried to apply these principles in our marriage, in our parenting with our kids. I've read dozens of books, seen many good examples in this church. I've listened to a bunch of sermons. My wife and I are conferencing on parenting like every single day. It's just like a constant, ongoing conversation. How are we doing? How are the kids doing? What's encouraging? What's discouraging? How can they grow? Hey, you probably could have handled that better. You're right, wife. I could have handled that better. So my wife and I were blessed to be raised in Christian homes that practice godly parenting. Here's some pictures from our summer vacation. Top photo. I'm one of seven. That's not even my whole family on the top there, but that's a good chunk of them. We're at a wedding in Nebraska. My parents are standing kind of in the back left there. On the bottom, that's Krista's parents. She's one of three. That's all the, most of the grandkids on that side. So seven plus three is how many? 10. And according to that study at the beginning, 70 to 90% of kids leave the faith. How many kids should have left the faith by now? Like seven to nine. All 10 kids, by the grace of God, are following the Lord, which is a glory to the Lord. They're serving in a bunch of churches. But here's the thing. My parents were radicals. Krista's parents were radicals. They don't look very radical, but they were <laughs> extremely radical. They made thousands of choices all the time about how they were going to raise us that put them at odds with friends and family and even people in the church. So I don't stand here as an expert. I stand here as a student that saw it modeled in my home growing up. I've seen incredible examples in our church, and I've been going to God's Word for 19 years now going, Lord, how can I do this the way you want me to do this? Which brings us to our final point, number eight. Radical parents fill their home with love rather than possessions and experiences. 
I want to talk about this one for a few minutes. Proverbs 15. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. So better is a poor home of love than a rich home full of hatred. If this verse is true, and this verse is true, then your kids want you around loving them more than they want you out making a bunch of money. And I'm not talking about not providing. That's a different talk for a different day. But I see way more parents that are workaholics than lazy. This should impact the hours you work outside the home, how much you travel, how late you stay at the office, how much of your work you bring home with you when you're home. When I was an engineer full-time years ago, I'd bring my home my phone home and I would set it on my desk and I would go upstairs and I would engage with my kids. It was like my mental reminder. Hey, I'm leaving that world behind. I'm locking into dad mode. I'm locking into husband mode. Now as a pastor, the cell phone, the pastoral lifeline, it never turns off. So I have to put it on do not disturb, silence it, throw it on my desk and go engage with my family. I'm not talking about being a bad worker. I cranked as an engineer. I was working so hard. My bosses loved me and they gave me promotions and raises. But when I came home, my kids were my business. Taking them in parks, reading to them, changing diapers, uh, correcting them, instructing them, wrestling with them, playing with them, all those things. Radical parents ask questions like, could we live on one salary? Does my job require too much travel? Am I away from the home too much? Do I need to look for a new job? Do we need to live in a different neighborhood? Could we drive a different car? I'm not saying don't provide. It's just better to have a house full of love than a house full of feasting with hatred. And that word love catches my eye in this verse. Our home should have so much love. Hugging your teenagers every day, even when they're like awkward and teenager <laughs> Telling them you love them. Tell them you're proud of them. Big old kisses on the cheek, like every day, morning and night. Hey, son, good to see you. I love you. Bye. Like your kids should know mom and dad really love me a lot. They need you loving them more than they need you out making a bunch of money. Have the courage to say no to your boss. Remember, radical parents have the courage to say, no, I'd rather live in a small home of love than a mansion full of hatred. When you're home, your kids are your business. No kid is perceptive enough to say, Dad, you need to work less. Mom, your phone's really distracting you right now. They go, Dad's gone. Mom's distracted. Your boss will always want more. Your phone will constantly notify you. I heard an interview with a professor recently. She said that dad's job is the number one thing that keeps him from engaging with his kids like he should. No kid will be like, dad, I'm really struggling with self-control. I need you to quit working as much and really lock in here and teach me. <laughs> no kid's like, dad, you did a fantastic job of teaching me that character trait. I really appreciate that. <laughs> Nobody walks up and like, here's a $5,000 bonus check for teaching your kid that godly character. That's the money aspect, but we also fill our lives with activities. Our country's like, you need your kids in more clubs, more activities, more sports, more groups, more, 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 more. Our kids need less. Based on the fruit of our country's parenting, we should question everything our country says to do. Our country's like, our kids should be so busy in a million activities. That's what they need. That's not true. I need my kids home as much as possible being taught by the wisest woman I know. I need my kids learning how to love their siblings. I need my kids hanging out with me. That's where I'm going to teach them how to work hard and resolve conflict and love their family. When I was growing up, my parents were very strategic with what they put us in. We did Awanas for a season, and then they stopped that. We did 4-H for years. We would do like one sport for a few kids that wanted to do it. My mom was not driving the seven of us around to dozens of activities. They knew the best influences in their life were mom and dad at home. They deliberately created a world with fewer commitments. So my teenagers know every activity that they propose, they have to have a pretty solid case because they're walking into a world where dad's like, yeah, we're doing a lot already, son. I'm not sure about that idea. I'll be very honest with you. It is way easier to put our kids into more activities than to have them home training them in godliness. And many times you're like, 
guys, we're going to have a quiet night tonight at home. We're going to play a game. And the kids are constantly fighting and you're training them and they're grumping at each other and they have a bad attitude and you're training them. Like, this was fantastic. (laughs) But it's so good because I'm teaching them so many good things. I'm sorry, son. That was super proud. Don't say that. Hey, buddy, that's not how you treat your younger brother. I'm going to discipline you. We're going to try that again. It's way easier to have my kids out there doing a bunch of stuff than have them home training them in godly character. So as we bring this to a close, one author said, less is more. And this is the attitude, the philosophy that Chris and I have had with our kids. Any activity that anyone proposes is weighed against this concept that better is a simple life, a small home full of love than a mansion, a busy life full of hatred. You know, I see this increasing busyness because as kids get older, it's harder and harder for them to be at church or to be at youth group because they're just busy. They're going a million different directions. Your busyness reduces the meals you have together as a family. Chris and I try to have at least one meal a day as a family, possibly two. Try to have every weekend meal if possible because I go, that's at least 11 meals for connection and love and instruction and discipleship of our children. My daughter was on the basketball team last year. And we, she, made, she tried super hard. She got cut her first year. She tried super hard. She made it her second year. But then as we were in the season between practices and games and fundraisers and other events, we're like, wow, this is a huge time sink we're doing as a family. So I said, let's just finish the season and let's evaluate it. And Haley came up to me a few months after the season and she said, you know, Dad, I think that the basketball thing is taking me away from the family. I think I'm going to not be on the team this year. And that blessed my heart. Meals and bedtime and all these activities at home are incredible opportunities to train our kids. Meals are where we can demonstrate hospitality. We invite the church over or neighbors. Or we just learn how to have like adult conversations and listen to each other and ask intelligent questions. Kids, you're part of a family. This is a little church right here around this table. Kids, we love you. You belong. You're part of this little family. There's a chance for connection. Kids learn how to ask questions and listen to each other, not interrupt. And all those conversational skills can be taught around your dinner table at home. Less is more. We want our church to be a church full of radical parents that are trying to raise disciples for Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for tonight. I thank you for all these parents that want to grow. I just ask God that as we move through these messages that you would teach your sons and daughters that you would, your spirit would be speaking to them right now, that you would give them application and truth and encouragement and things that they could grow in with their children. Lord, your word is powerful. We want to obey it and apply it. God, we need your grace. We say all this in your name. Amen. A couple of housekeeping things. So Brent set up this awesome QR code. So you could take a picture of that. Why don't you just take a picture of that? But you can go to the link or you can take a picture of that and it'll take you to that link. And you can submit any questions you want during these four sessions. And then as pastors, we're going to answer a big chunk of these questions tomorrow afternoon. So if there's things that you want to talk about, I would love to discuss them during the Q&A or we can talk after this right now. So what time do we start tomorrow? Nine o'clock. You have a one hour lunch break. So plan accordingly. Please go get your children and thank the child care workers. And we'll see you in the morning. Thanks.